Hi, welcome to Almost Cooperstown. I'm Mark, and this is Gordon, and we love talking about baseball. So today is June 21st, and we are actually between the first and the second game of a Mets doubleheader today. So it actually seemed kind of appropriate to talk about doubleheaders in baseball. And doubleheaders are are a dying breed, right? But not uh, in this uh, post-pandemic season uh, with the seven-inning doubleheaders and whatnot. And and I think the seven-inning doubleheaders is actually an idea I'm more on board with. I'm okay with that. But mostly, at least in modern-day baseball, doubleheaders are born out of pretty much weather stuff only, realistically. Right, right. Originally, uh, there were more doubleheaders played in September than any other month because you were making up the games that were missed earlier in the season and you just schedule a bunch of double headers back into. And you know, now that I even think about it, that was probably something you had to do a lot more because you didn't have teams flying everywhere. So like you could staying an extra day or getting somewhere early was not nearly as feasible. And before the 1930s, you didn't have night games. So that also would make it more very impact the number of double because you could, because you could only play a double header by starting at like first thing in the morning then. But, you know, just um, over the weekend, uh, the Mets played a doubleheader against the Nationals, making up for one of the COVID uh, canceled games at the beginning of the season. Uh, and the Mets have played fewer games than any team in baseball. Uh, and they they had two single admission game, meaning you had two games. There were two admissions. So you went to the first game. It was uh, whatever, well, noon or one o'clock. And the second game was at five o'clock. And it was a separate admission. And they were both seven inning games. And so my question was, wait a second. That, no, that's not cool. Okay, right. That's not cool. That's a dick move from, from the Washington Nationals. Just because like... They're hiding behind the rule that says that you can have you could charge for single admission for each of the games. It's like, wait a second. So now I'm not, I'm not only do I only get one game. I only get a seven inning game. Right. And I probably am still playing full price for the tickets. You didn't pay 77 percent of the price. I agree. That's, right. You paid that's the whole price. That's the problem with that. And I think most people And the thing is, is now nowadays, actually, what's unusual about that is most tickets, even though. As we'll get into in a little bit, the doubleheader was born out of a way to try and increase ticket sales. Right. Because you would get admission to both games for the prices won. Right. It was there was always a fine line between giving the, the fans too much for their value, you know, for their dollar, and and try to draw them into the park. So you'd have bigger crowds for doubleheaders, uh, and, and particularly bad teams would schedule doubleheaders because they were trying anything they could to get people into the ball. Right, and so, you know, people might not come out to watch a bad team, but, oh, I get two games for the price of one? Not so bad now. Yeah, I don't I don't know that people feel the same way about that today. I don't think that would have as much appeal to that people today because it's just like, well, I'm still going to be spending. I'm going to spend more money by going to a doubleheader. Well, right, because you're eating. You know, you eat twice, and but you only have one parking. You only, you only have, have one ticket fee. So there's certainly, but the value idea is not major nearly league, as strong. Yeah, I, I, nor is the incentive. Remember when they were doing doubleheaders, uh, uh, and by the bad teams, there weren't other competing sports. Uh, there as wasn't much, other competing mediums to watch the right, game. Right, right. You could watch. You could only watch the game in person. You could only see what was that. You could listen to the radio, but that's why going to the ballpark held such a greater allure than today, where you can watch it on TV. Right, and and as as attendance figures went up, and and actually this kind of came out of some of the uh, uh, pregame research I did. There are only four uh, 
franchises in Major League Baseball history who have drawn more than 4 million fans in a season. Okay, you can probably come up with them pretty if you think I about mean, it. I mean, the, the standard guess I would go with would be Yankees, Red Sox, Cubs, Cardinals. Well, the Red Sox would not necessarily be, because they're traditionally, that would be, so they don't have a lot of fan, uh, seats in it's that not park. a big stadium. Right, so the Yankees are correct, absolutely. Um, the uh, the Toronto Blue Jays. The Blue Jays. Okay, we're a team that did that. The New York Mets mm. drew 4 million people at the last year Shea Stadium in 2008. Hmm. Um, and oddly enough, in its first season of existence, the Colorado Rockies drew 4 million fans to... They're not drawing 4 million. This no, year. no. And so you don't need to have double headers when get you're drawing people. 4 million fans. <laughs> you don't need double... Or if you're good. If you're a team that's in the... If you were a team that was in the pennant race and you had games that mattered going down the line... You didn't need to schedule double letters because people would want to come and watch you. It was the last place team that was playing the second to, la- to last place team. They're the ones that needed double header to get butts in the seat. You, you you make a good point, right? So schedule double headers before the season. They, they traditionally they didn't schedule many double headers. They were makeups, as you said, of rainouts uh, and and double headers back into. So they they started in the late 1880s. Real double headers as the National League was born, and a few teams used them, but. The Boston Braves, for instance, from 1900 to 1929, played over 800 doubleheaders. They were terrible, except for the Miracle Braves of 1914, which we talked about on this mm-hmm. podcast. And so the only way, and Boston is a small town, so the Red Sox had lots of doubleheaders, and the Braves had lots of doubleheaders because they didn't have that many people, and they had to and that was a way to, to bring people, into, people yeah. to come to the stadium right. because they, and then fans also knew then. Oh, I can just wait because a doubleheader will be around the corner. Right. That value proposition of getting two games for the price of when the double dip was just so important to fans in a way that it isn't today. Well, especially because like you would have kids could go. You might you and your buddy as a little, you know, as a teenager, two games for the price of one. That's a great day, particularly before there were night games. Right. All baseball games were day games until the 1930s has a big influence on who's going to go watch that game. So, uh, you know, as the AL came up, they played a lot of double headers. And it's it's kind of impressive as to what percentage of games teams would play as double headers in a season. And it ranged, you know, from the early part of the 20th century um, from as low as 13 percent all the way up to almost 35 percent of the games now i'm not a math major but i know that one out of three is 33 percent. that means that a third of their games are a little more than that were double headers that's a lot that's like it's it's crazy to think about like one that would have a profound impact on shortening the season right right you could you could well or or if you had inclement weather you, you could, would have you a lot more often that way well also you'd have to have a lot more days for travel Right, right. And you weren't flying places, but you weren't going as far either. Probably. You didn't go as any further than St. Louis, right. you know, until 1958. So it, it didn't, it didn't so really you, matter. So the travel wasn't that important. Not as much. I mean, you're traveling by trains and, and whatnot. So it was not luxurious, certainly. So, and, and what I thought was also interesting is, is that doubleheader days, which I guess we think now more of Sundays being doubleheader days, it was actually Saturdays that were the doubleheader days. Makes sense. Which, I don't. I don't know why. Not a religious day. Yeah, that there's part of that, right? And and baseball wasn't it, played on Sunday, as we've also talked about. Right, but if specifically we're trying time. to get people in butts into the stadium with a double header that's going to start early. You're not going to do it the same day church is going on. Right, right, right. So the 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 Red Sox and the Braves we talked about. You know, the the Reds they were both well. The, the Braves had their 1914 year, and the Red Sox won all those World Series in the teens, right? You know, in 12, 15, and, and mm-hmm. 18. 
uh, and 16. And so they, you know, they having had double headers was kind of interesting is mainly because of the size of the city and the fact that they were just trying whatever they could to get people into the ballpark. I mean, I'm assuming that was the peak period then, right? Like that 1920, like that 1900 to 1930 period. Was it actually that- was later than that. that the really? Peak, yeah, yeah. It, 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 I don't, and I don't really know why it was after the, I think 1956 to 60 was like the peak of the double header period. So, hmm. um, and, and it's just interesting to me that they, they kind of were steady, you know, in that range, right? Between 20 and 35% uh, through the thirties, through World War II, um, you know, and, and they hadn't yet gone to TV, obviously. So you didn't have those kinds of revenue opportunities. So I wonder if it was a revenue thing though, that I'm guessing that the relative costs of running a baseball team had probably gone up since the 30s but fans probably were coming to games at roughly the same clip if anything they might have fallen off a little if prices had gone up so do you think going to more double headers was just a way to try and get people into the stadium i i think that was the theory that they probably use i i, I question sometimes their ability to really effectively measure what was going yeah, on it what wasn't was a data it wasn't what was data driven right thing. what was better like was okay, we have lots of you know we're going to sell more tickets if we have double headers and hopefully we'll pick up extra revenue and in, in concessions and, and just having people in the ballpark, people, having people in the ballpark, as opposed to having two single admission games uh, that would be of less interest. I assume they had some, you know, uh, actuarial reason for going. This is the thing to continue. continue they weren't doing. just doing it in a vacuum for no right, reason. Right, right. The, the Dodgers, uh, you know, in 1945, um, had they played one more doubleheader, they would have played um, more games as doubleheaders than non-doubleheader games, which is. Crazy. Now, in '45, I can kind of understand why. Right, the end of the war, and 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 yes, as people were hurting for players uh, at the time, and and just getting the games in was was a challenge for sure. Mm-hmm. So, uh, actually, and I said '56 to '60, it was before '56. That's when it began to turn around. And they went away from doubleheaders. So all the way up through 55. So it was like mostly centered around. And it makes sense that you would see the rise of the the doubleheader during the World War II years. Right, right. And and well, at, at its pinnacle. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I mean. That's when you really see it become because because less people around to see the games. Right, right. And well, it was, you know, during the war, the, the president you know, had to wrestle with whether or not to allow baseball to be played. And he thought it was good for the nation that Roosevelt did to play the world series. And even in 1918, you know, that season they played the world series for world war one for world war one and the pandemic, uh, I guess was the, the, my relevant point there. And the commissioner said, you know, we need the, uh, they said, let's play baseball. The president said, let's play baseball games. We don't need to not play. Right. Them. And then they did that again in world war. Right, II. right, right. So, um, you know, teams played lots of doubleheaders um, until the, you know, as we said, until 1960, but they still played them in the 60s. They were still playing well, from because, 61 to 63. Because you still have to play doubleheaders to make up rainouts. But they, right, because they, they didn't, but they scheduled doubleheaders around holidays. So you'd have a Memorial Day doubleheader. You'd have a, uh, a, a Father's Day doubleheader. Jim Bunning famously pitched a perfect game against the Mets on Father's Day in 1964 as the first game of a doubleheader. Oh. So, you know, the second, who knows who won the second? Game, and right? it is weird because it's like I feel like doing it as part of a double header makes it less memorable. Right, right. Well, yeah, I don't remember who won the second game. Yeah, I just remember the guy pitched the perfect. But game it's, just like, it's just like part of a double header. It's like it's somehow it's like less meaningful than if it was its own standalone game, which is silly. So since since we we highlight our Mets on this podcast um, in the sixties, the. Uh, one team that constantly broke the curve from having more doubleheaders were the Mets. 
who in the 60s. And you know, it's, they're a new team that comes in in 62 after the Dodgers and Giants moved to the West Coast. And they led the league in doubleheaders every year but one during the 60s. Hmm. So they and they Is that did just because Shea was particularly rainy? Or do you think they were scheduling? No, they scheduled these. In an attempt to get more people into the stadium. Trying to make a name for themselves as a value proposition, as the scrappy little team that could against the Yankees. And and the Mets did something, in, in and I remember this because I did it one time. So they had something called Banner Day. Okay, I think you told me about so this. Before. So Banner Day, and 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 I, I guess Banner Day doubleheader. It was like a circle on the calendar, and so the fans would make these homemade banners, and they would line up behind the center field fence out at Shea Stadium, and they would open the gates between the gates of the doubleheader, and you'd march with your little banner going "I love the Mets" or whatever it would be, and there were. Thousands of people that would walk through and carry their banner. Banner they would make the break between the games like an hour, an hour and a half, because there were so many Mets fans. That the, I don't know another team that really did it the way the Mets that did. That kind it. of and promotion. that would never play in Yankee Stadium. Right? No, have, you know, far too much. You know, respect too good, for history. Too blue bloods, but never wow. You know, doubleheader banners. The fans on the field. That's very Mets. So you know, and and as doubleheaders progressed. You know, so we, we said it was at oh, high as 35%. It is interesting, though, now that we're talking about this, how much of this does, this kind of discussion goes hand-in-hand hand with all of the old baseball owners' discussion and the stadium's discussion and the wacky promotions that they used to try and pull to get people into the stadium. Oh, yeah. And you could see this following along a very similar track where it was more relevant at the beginning of baseball, but then as time has gone on, it's just kind of found a new purpose. Right, and 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 so we, we said thirty five percent that were were double headers at its at its pinnacle, and into the seventies now um, it's down to fourteen percent in the National League, and windows all the way down in terms of percentage of games played as double headers by the early nineties to two percent, three percent. Because teams don't want to schedule them anymore, and they're drawing four million fans a year. Why would we want to give away? We're selling one out of the games. Wait a second, we're going to sell out every game regardless of whether or not we're giving away one for free. Why would we give away an entire game's worth of tickets? But the change then happens with the further growth of cable TV, right? And when the majority can, of their proceeds, their revenue is no longer coming from specifically stadium Only emissions. from ticket sales, correct. So now you've got all these other revenue opportunities. Playing a double header isn't as revenue poor for you as it would have been because you're getting all this ancillary revenue for your TV rights and your advertising and so on and so forth. So, uh, you know, doubleheaders um, are, are something that are, are going to continue to sort of be at this very low level. Um, we're going to see more this year, I think, you know, only because of some weird, you know, but that's pretty COVID much protocols. Yeah, I, I don't think we're going to see any more of that in, in this particular season. The seven-inning doubleheader, do you think it's here to stay after this? Um, so I thought it was really interesting because Lindor, Lindor actually came out the other day and said, you know, I'm in favor of the seven-inning doubleheaders. Anybody that that isn't, you know, should come because out. Because I still get paid everything. Which is a point people were using to rebut his point. But he was saying, you know, you should come out here and play 18 innings of baseball on the same day. And so I tend to agree with Lindor. But I also understand why fans are pissed. Because it would be like if we wanted golfers to play 36 holes in a day. Right, and that happens in, in in a couple of tournaments, but by and large, that does it not doesn't happen. happen on because the it's not, you know. And so I could understand why they're like, look, if we're going to play – Two round, two games of baseball, cutting out two innings. I mean, they still get paid the same, which is a lot of people are like, oh, that's real easy for you to say when you're going to still get paid for 18 innings. Unless they try the, the, the stupid 
two admission things, you know, that that they can't do. I don't think you can show up and play a seven-inning game at 1 o'clock and go, all right, we're going to kick back for a few hours afterwards, and we'll play the night game, and when everybody come in and pay again, you're going to get another seven-inning no, game. No, that's bullshit. So, so that that has to go by the wayside. Uh, but but I, I agree. I'm fine yeah. with seven-inning doubleheaders. Me, me too. If anything... I, it's an interesting just it, it adds it it makes the games feel snappier yeah which is one of the bigger problems with double headers especially as somebody that's played in them those first three innings of game two suck <laughs> and 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 before the sticky stuff stuff happened and it's related here right because earlier this season you know pitchers couldn't get anybody out and it was just a hit fest you know i mean i mean it's, it was just a strikeout fest to have them you know the bit uh get to bat and, and and not do anything for 18 innings in a row. Right. It was just, yeah. And then there were, you were having extra inning games left and right. Cause literally nobody could score. So you could, you're talking about playing like 20 plus innings of baseball on the same day and where nobody's hitting, getting any hits. This is boring. But just the mention of checking the pitchers has already had a, a an impact. Stark impact. Yes. So, so I think that changes it because you don't have to say, well, we can't, we don't have enough pitching was my point to play double headers. Um, like not that. with the modern way we do pitching. Well, and not with the fact that guys would just couldn't get anybody out. I mean, I mean, you know, couldn't get any base hits. Yeah, it's yeah. horrible. And, well, yeah, but still, even then, like, Double headers worked a lot better when you had maybe three starters on your team and you're like, okay, game one, this guy's going to pitch the game. <laughs> right. Game two, this guy's going to pitch the game. You can't do that anymore. Or in the case of, I believe, Wilbur Wood, who was a knuckleballer for the Chicago, he pitched both games of a double header and won them both. Yeah, that's just, you couldn't, you like we were even watching this game It one. wasn't that long ago either. We were talking about one watching this game one that like, oh, uh, Seth Lugo came in in the sixth inning of the seven inning double header and got out of this got you know, gave up a two run home run to make it a four two game. But before that, we were talking about, oh, well, he can go another inning and then you save the closer for the next game. Like that's the kind of strategic decision that you didn't have to use to make. It used to be he will pitch until either the game is over or we are down by so many runs, it doesn't matter who goes into pitch. Or his arm falls off, right. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's because he's still out it's there. It's like we can have literally just start putting in fans and it'll be the same thing. So, you know, the impact of, of playing doubleheaders uh, as the Mets are doing more this year than they probably would want to um, is, is who wins doubleheaders. Like, so what I, happens? I, I would assume roughly that, like, the home team does slightly better in doubleheaders, but, like, they're probably, like, most of them end up in splits. Right, most double headers, you know, uh, are are split, uh, but the home team sweeps a little more than they split. Okay, so if you're the home team, you have a slightly better chance than not of sweeping than splitting, and it's very, it's pretty unlikely for you to get swept as the home team. That is that is also true. Although there, I read a you know because I have all this time to spend right on reading bizarre baseball abstracts on double header sweeps and what the psychological aspect of winning the first game is in terms of your success in the second game if you are the home team and they measured testosterone levels this is a bizarre study that happened from 2002 to 2014 which is weirdly during a time where very very few double headers were being it was played 300 i think their set was 320 double headers or so that they evaluated it, over now the it does make sense to me that that if you win game one you have a slightly better than 50 percent chance of winning game two because just from the perspective of 
first off, generally the better team is going to win games more often than not. So the better team winning the first game still means the better team is more likely to win the second game. And if they're home. And if they're home, it's a lot of added advantages. So the the really good teams are, you know, 60% or more wins. The really bad teams are 40% or more losses. So that makes, but I also think it's something to do with you get down in that second game after you lost the first one. Like, you're the Pittsburgh Pirates this year. Hate to pick on them, but it's too easy. <laughs> you're the Pittsburgh Pirates. You're playing the doubleheader against the Mets. Game one, you lose to Jacob deGrom 4-2. Game two, the Mets come out. They put up, like, five or six early on to you. It's now, like, the top of the fifth inning, and you're down, like, 7-2. Are, it's As much as we talk about how everybody's a competitor, there's a point in that game where you're just like, ready to pick it up and start again tomorrow. It's certainly more of a function of the quality of the team playing. Right. When you have a good team beating a bad team where, but you could get the flip side where you get a really hungry, bad team that wins game one. They come up and get an early lead on game two and a team like the Mets that should be winning that double header. They just throw in the towel today because they're like, they just don't want to deal with it anymore. So, so maybe the Mets who are like ducking right now because they've got all these double headers, like they have three in like seven days going, oh, this is hard. We don't have enough pitching for this. But they're right now a, a good team, I guess. And and so that they should be looking at it possibly going, wait, we have the chance to we have a better chance if, than not to sweep three double headers. If I'm the Mets, it's just really big in getting game one. If you can win game one of all those double headers, it makes your life a lot easier because you have to care so much about your pitching that if you need to just sack a game two, like you're like, okay, the starter we had out there just didn't have it rather than murder my bullpen. I'm just going to let us get killed today. Well, and, and and on Saturday, the Mets split a doubleheader with the Nationals in Washington. They won the first game, uh, you know, five to two, fairly handily. Uh, and then in the second game, they didn't score. They lost two to nothing. It was a really boring, quiet seven. So they're on the road. They're not home. And even if they have a better record than the Nationals, it's gonna, still going to be a sweep. You know, it's going to be the time. exactly yeah, a split. A split. A split. A sp- it's going to be really hard, especially to sweep a, world, a road series with a doubleheader. Right, right. So there have been, uh, I I counted one triple header, and it made me think in 1920, the Pirates played a triple header, and and, and I don't know what the circumstances. It just seems like a gimmick. Like, like, well, why would you even, could you imagine, like, you know, nine hours of baseball? Maybe the the games were an hour and ten minutes in those days, so maybe you only took. How were they an hour and ten minutes back? The only thing I could think is that, like, you start the first game at, like, 9 a.m., 9 to 12, take, like, a half hour break, you come back at, like, first well, that's interesting, right? Because this was 1920, so there's no night game. So you so had they to, played three games during so the you day. Had, you might have had to start that game before 9 a.m. in order to <laughs> Maybe, get all of them yeah. in. The games didn't take as long. So no. we, we're all accustomed to three-hour baseball games, and there were plenty of two-hour games or right. less. So you could probably start at like 9, 9.30 in the morning and get them all in. And that was interesting. 1920, the first year, they outlawed the spitball. The end of the dead ball era is, and is the, upon and us. While also being the only triple header. Yeah, yeah. So that I, is a wild baseball season. <laughs> that, I, that, that, that season just sticks out in my mind. So um, do you think that uh, double headers are going to, you know, be limited to just rainouts and they, yeah. they, they, so they're not scheduling. You're not going to schedule them anymore. The only reason you would schedule them. Nostalgia. How about a banner day uh, double header? eventually would wrap back around right, to right. being like a weird kind of kitschy thing where you're just like, oh, let's do a double header today. The fans will find that quirky and weird. But, like, as long as there's rainouts, it's not like fans are going to forget what doubleheaders are. It would change if every team 
went to having domed stadiums. And so there were no more rainouts. Then you might see more right, schedule. It's a marketing thing. Then it's going to be a marketing thing. But as long as you have teams having regular rainouts as part of their schedule, I don't know how much teams are going to go to scheduling them anytime and, and I, soon. I, I see that the double header, as we call it, kind of uh, falling into the two separate admissions being nine inning games. I don't think MLB can get away with, you know, maybe they'll try because the players are probably going to say, sure. Sure, we'll play two seven inning games, you know, instead of the players. Eight. The that players, the, the players don't care at all about the fan proposition on that side. To them, they're just like, okay, wait a second, yeah, two less innings upon two, you know, fourteen innings instead of eighteen innings. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. And and, and the managers, a few of the managers that I've read uh, their comments on surprisingly say you know i didn't like it you know when i first heard about it but i'm it's kind of growing on me and i like it now it it kind of makes sense you know why because it's allowing them to manage their pitching staff it makes it so much easier to manage your pitchers in a double header because if like especially if you in a double header you have like the mets had Degrom going in game one now game two is going to have first pitch here in a couple minutes are you how's your arm uh, yeah yeah we literally <laughs> we i don't think we or the mets know who is starting game two so if you're if you're pitching a nine in the game, you're like, God, I hope this guy can at least give me three because otherwise you're trying to pit, pit, put together like seven, eight innings out of your bullpen when you've already used some of your better guys. And there's no truth to the rumor that there's a tryout in the parking lot outside mm-hmm. City Field to pitch game two. Mm-hmm. It's not true, despite what you may have I heard. can't believe Gaselman's out for six to eight weeks. Yeah, yeah. So, I, you know, I, I think that um, they affect the season – Probably in more of a way, and I don't really have the figures, you know, to back that up. But just when I read about that home teams and good teams sweep more double headers, that that becomes significant if a team has has more, like a wacky number right, of double headers right, in a season. It could affect the Mets this year. It could affect them a little bit, but at the same time, they're still a good team. Did it really change anything? No, it's it, well, it, it could if they win the division by a game or two or make a wild card because they still won the they outperformed is, in double headers. Yeah, but like uh, they still won those games. They still had to play the baseball games and win them. But there's an advantage, certainly, or, or so it seems. Right. Yeah. But quantifying how real that advantage actually is, is kind of hard. So I, I don't you know July, July 4th, which is upcoming, is one of those, uh, you know, days for double headers. I don't think there are any double headers scheduled. No, no for they July don't schedule 4th. them anymore. There's no Memorial Day double headers. There's no because you don't you don't need to draw the fan to come yeah. to the ballpark and get two for the price of one. So yeah, I think I think double headers are, you know, they're. Unfortunately, kind of a relic of the past. Yes, I think that's true. And no other sport, right? You don't see... Physically, you can't. Right, right. How about an NBA doubleheader? No. <laughs> Not unless you wanted to watch a really, really bad second game. Exactly. So, you know, the, the baseball is the only sport, and they're going by the wayside too. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform. And you can follow us on Twitter at Almost Cool.